Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Nintendo!
uh, from IGN's offices in San Francisco. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat. I am your host, Jose Otero. Uh, with me this week, Brian Altano. I like how you do that, by the way. It sounds like we're uh, coming in live from like a, a radio tower somewhere. I, yeah, it's all for my ego. That's yeah. what it is. All right. <laughs> and uh, joining us this week, very special guest, Stephen Lin. Great. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. So Hi, Stephen. Fo- hey, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. For folks who don't know who Stephen is, Stephen uh, is, uh, currently works at Gree. He's a yes. GM there. Uh, but more importantly, the reason we asked Stephen to be here was because Stephen is actually a collector, um, very much like a guest we had on the show a few uh, weeks ago, Mike Micah. Stephen has a very special, rare collection of amazing stuff. Some of it is actually on the table right now, and we're going to spend some time talking about. Um, and it, it's I can't wait to hear your stories, sort of as someone who is dedicated to not just collecting but preservation and making sure that the stuff sort of finds its place in the, you know in, in museums and whatnot yeah i'm happy to share those stories and you know i heard the podcast with mike and happy to contribute here and you're like i could beat that guy i can beat that guy <laughs> oh yeah what? well i don't have the you know prototypes for the for the carts sure uh, but you know i can i can try yeah okay no fair enough all right so uh let's start with a little bit of news this week so uh first really quickly let's begin with uh the biggest story actually this week was about uh, Dan Edelman. So Nintendo of America's indie boss, uh, who's been with the company nine years, uh, quit on Monday. Or I guess he quit Friday, but announced on Monday that he had left the company and he would start using his Twitter account again. Uh, For those who don't know what the big deal was, why he was off Twitter, apparently... um, you know, there was a bit of tension and conflict because, uh, you know, as part of a bigger corporate company, you know, he had agreed with something that wasn't on message and apparently was recommended to not tweet as much. It was the region locking, right? Yes, yeah. it was a region locking mm-hmm. issue, which, uh, you know, if you know what region locking is, it is basically locking, you know, a device to a region like America has games that only play in that region. They don't play in Europe or in Japan, et cetera. Yeah. It's kind of an old practice. No one no one really does it as much anymore. No, and I think you just said, I feel your pain was yeah, you just commiserated yeah. with someone complaining about it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's odd silent. to me because I remember like growing up, you you know you'd buy a Nintendo system or really most consoles, and you'd read about stuff that was happening overseas, and you'd like I really want to get that game. And then yeah, you got get, excited. You'd hunt down these really crazy magazines that would have this like import page in the game back. fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And there'd be this phone number, and it would be like, oh, you can get you, you know. Uh, a game that's like two Final Fantasies before the one you have now. And then you saw the price tag and said, It was like $100 or $110 because games weren't cheap back then either. Mm-hmm. Um, regular uh, regular games were like, you know, $60, 70 $80, $90 all the time. So you would see something and you'd go, I want to import that, but I don't know if I'm going to, like, you'd be like, I have a Japanese friend at school, but my mom's not going to let me uh, have him live with us right. <laughs> for yeah. the next six months while well, more I importantly, she's not going to let you spend $80 to $100 no on, on no a game. I imported Street Fighter 2 for yeah. Super Famicom and in there was instructions on how to break the tabs off so that I could put it in the Oh really? Oh, from the place you had ordered? Yeah. Oh, so wow. it was like, yeah, here's how you how you actually fit this cartridge in so, because it won't. So yeah, did the, you take them off the, you took them off the system itself, right? On the on the Super yeah, Nintendo. Yeah, on the Super Nintendo yeah. there's two like plastic tabs and yes. it said like, oh, you know, you can buy a screwdriver and get it or you can just take a screwdriver and hammer and like, yeah, break yeah, them yeah. off, which is what I did. And <laughs> it feels I mean, your dad's like, what are you doing? So I I wish I would have followed that advice. So there was uh, I grew up in the Bronx, and uh, there's this uh, strip of stores um, called Fordham Road, where uh, there is an occasional mom and pop video game store that would have an import section. Yeah. And they had like a, 
I think the game it was at the time, I was really into Dragon Ball Z. So it was like Dragon Ball Z Super Batoden 3 or something like that. One of the fighting games, which they're ridiculous. But anyway, I did not realize that you can just rip the tabs out of Super Nintendo. And so mm-hmm. I just burned holes in the cartridge instead for oh, the tabs. Yeah, well, so, you know, a soldering yeah. iron will make those yeah. notches. Oh, well, I didn't right? have a soldering oh, iron. Man. I made so, good with actually, like a hammer, a screwdriver. It just, I it made was a the mess. same thing. Shavings I mean, everywhere. The N64 was, the, I think they flipped the script where yeah. instead of having the, the tabs on in the system, they put they them on, on, the the, cart. on the on the cart. Right. And I had imported a cart and I got it and I was just like, dunk. Damn it. <laughs> and I started looking it up online. And, like, you know, bear in mind, online back then was like 12 sites. IGN was one of them right. somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like news groups. Yeah, it was like news groups and BBCs That's and all right. stuff like yeah. that. Or B- bulletin boards. And I, I took my mom. My mom was an architect, and I stole her X-Acto blade. And I sat there for, like, two hours one afternoon. Just whittling saw, whittling <laughs> off these little plastic corners, like these little little bricks. And then you shoved it in there, and it worked. And you're like, God damn it. Why would I even have to do this? All right. And I was like, you know, I used to think growing up it was like, oh, they have totally different technology than us in Japan. No, they don't. They just put some extra plastic on there. No, but, but they got the cool stuff first. They got the systems first. They got the games sure. first. Right. I remember, too, um, thank God when my mom bought me uh, Captain Commando imported, which I don't know why she bought it. I think she just said, oh, I know you like things from Japan. And so it was kind of her best effort. And yeah. I didn't care for Captain Commando, but I was also like, I, I didn't want to show that. So I was like, oh, no, that's fine. That's great. But she got me an adapter, which was more important. So I was oh, like, great. Oh, Honeybee family <clears throat> film adapter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just the cartridge in the cartridge, right. and then you just yep. pop it in, and you're good. The sound um, like a knuckles joint. So, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it came, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The Tower of Power, you can build that. Um, but anyway, that, that's sort of a quick recap of what region locking has led us to do. <laughs> yes. Um, whereas today, uh, I guess because of, like, digital sales, if you want to be there day and date, I guess, uh, like, one thing I did right before I got this job is I bought an import 3DS Mm-hmm. Uh, from Japan. So, you know, because of an eShop, I can buy things, but unfortunately, that's all that'll play, right? And, right? Or you have to import cartridges to like Play Asia or something. Um, so, yeah, he sympathized and, and it set up a situation where they asked him to not tweet anymore. He's gone now. He wants to do more of biz development, which is smart, I think, because indies sort of need that support, right? I mean, uh, you know, as, as someone who works with uh, a company that sort of handles video games or, or makes games, like, I mean, does that make sense sort of to you, like just having sort of a biz dev guy who can help drive a product like that? Yeah, I mean, we, we're a bigger publisher, um, especially in Asia, so uh, uh-huh. you know, we have kind of that distribution and everything else. Um, for the indies, we do work with a lot of them, um, and in you know some cases we'll do investments or we'll have PMs work with the, with their group, um, really just to show them the ropes, yeah. um, especially on the mobile side. So it's kind of the Wild West. Mm-hmm. I think um, on the console side, you know, you have people who – very creative, uh, but they need to understand. Excuse me, the uh, the business part, um, or you know, here are some things that you might need to do to change that design in order to fit the market that you're trying to target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I mean, it's a win for indies because someone with that much experience. I mean, uh, Dan's history. He came from the original Xbox, I believe. He worked at Microsoft for a while, and then he, uh, I think, he was a part of Xbox Live, and then he went to Nintendo, and he's been there for nine years. Yeah. And in nine years, there has been change. Remember when when uh, sort of WiiWare started and sort of that shovelware period or DSware and that shovelware period, and then slowly you saw things like World of Goo hit. You saw, you know, other games sort of come along. Leading up to even like Shovel Knight was, was a huge win for them, a more recent win for them. Um, and there's some policy changes. There's some important ones that he helped bring about, one of them being one that we were just laughing about right before we started recording. In order, uh, there was a time where in order to be a Nintendo independent developer, you had to work 
uh, anywhere but your home. You have to yeah. basically work in an office. You had to have an office, and they were doing things like Google Street Viewing to make sure that it was an actual office when you put in what? your address and things. That's like that. It was someone's job to do that. Yeah. Like an indie cop. <laughs> yeah. That seems so unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, I mean, why regulate where ideas come from, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And more importantly, uh, I, I guess it was their bid to try and deal with established developers, but I don't think they realized some established developers. That trend really started, I want to say, you know, mid to late 2000, where like people you know, sort of left big companies, you know, guys like Jules who left big companies to start yeah. Renegade Kids, start their Absolutely. own thing. Mm-hmm. And then they found, hey, we can be just as effective making a game working remotely mm-hmm. and everyone works from home. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious to see if this leads to more independent titles um, going to the Nintendo platform now that he doesn't have to stay on message on everything. So yeah. he can really tell them how it really is, mm-hmm. um, work with developers and say, all right, well, if you want to do, you know, Wii U or, or WiiWare, here's probably the best way to do it rather than whatever the script said on yeah. Nintendo. Yeah, and I think it's probably, you know, it's it's obviously a big loss for Nintendo, but yeah. it's also, um, he did pave a lot of roads for them, so hopefully they, they find someone or they themselves take sort of take the baton from here mm-hmm. and keep it going. I don't think this means the end of indies on Wii U. I do think that there there's going to be some bridges that needs mending yeah. and stuff And, like and that, he said but. as much, too. He said, like, you know, there's there's a good team there who's still sort of yeah. fighting the good fight for this. So, yeah, no, I agree with both points. Cool. Um, so, definitely... I, I do miss the days where you could just buy a, a cartridge and... and Stick yeah. it in your system and play right. it, though. Yeah. Well, you know, PlayStation, then you had to buy that thing that held down the spring and the Switch, right? <laughs> or, and, you, yeah. or you did the adventurous thing and held it down yourself. Right, yeah, right. I was, I was yeah. doing that. Yeah, but we Nintendo, were Nintendo for, for a while, I mean, I think it was even up to the the Nintendo DS. I was imp- I was importing Japanese games. I imported Electroplank yeah, from Japan. Yeah, yeah. No, that was and, region-free, yeah. And then one day, you know, it, that just stopped. Well, DSi once they happened. The, yeah. yeah. Yeah, once DSi happened. All the firmware stuff. Well, it was like the R4s and everything popped open. So they just like, well, we need to shut this down somehow yeah oh god pirates are in it for everyone basically yeah. <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah um okay uh just really quickly though one thing that uh also was making the round so apparently he participated uh in uh, ask.fm right yeah, yeah it's kind of sure. you know, just like a quora or you know just was answering questions from yeah. people mm-hmm. and and one question was sort of asking about nintendo's situation and i think the context was if they deserved to be in it or something like that but he basically answered and said, no, the platform has some great games. He does feel that the, the sort of the justification for the gamepad and what it is hasn't happened yet. But then he said he thought the name was abysmal. Uh, the name Wii U was abysmal. Uh, I don't have the direct quote in front of me. But, um, and that, that killed half the sales right there. And I don't know if I agree. And I'm just curious how you guys feel. Like, is the name the problem with Wii U? Um, it, it, well, so the name... The name is the target that gets the most hits on it, right? Because I think so that was that, the gamepad. Yeah, well, that, that's that was it was an easy it's an easy thing to blame because it was confusing, but I honestly feel like their their branding uh, was is is the real issue here. Like, and from the jump, it was very tough to differentiate between a Wii and a Wii U, not really knowing from the outside. We all knew, obviously, but right. if you're a parent that walks in the store and was just like, "What is this?" You know, like the, when you look at the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 3, there's a strong different, uh, you know, difference there where you have a, there's a numerical value attached to it. Um, it feels like a sequel. Like no one goes, you know, did, you know, do my Avengers 2 theater tickets work to see Avengers 1? Like it doesn't work like that. <laughs> but people saw the Wii U and they're like, I don't know what this means because, you know, we're in this era now where, you know, 
your 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 iPhone changes every single year, but sometimes it's like a five or a five S, and sometimes it's like a four G or whatever, and you know little little things like that, and like what accessories work, what 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 doesn't, like does my charger still work, does my does this still work, do all my apps carry over, does my Pe- Bose speaker that I spent like five hundred dollars yeah. on still work? Answer no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of a lot of things are up in the air like that now, and I don't think they really nailed that. And in their commercials for the Wii U, they showed people playing with Wii remotes, and it just further confuse things. So the Wii U is a bad name. I'll give it that. It's one we all got used to now. It's fine. Um, but their branding really was was the main problem. And all I think right. their price. You know, there was a lot going on there. Sure. I do have an argument, though, not to hijack the mic, sure. but I have a feeling that if the PS4, the Xbox One, and the Wii U had all launched on the same day, I think the Wii U would be doing a little better than it did in its first year. You think so, even though the tech dis- the, the, the tech difference was there? I think that was less of an issue of we were starved for a new console. The Wii U came out, and it wasn't as new as we wanted it to be. And then the PS4 and the Xbox One came out, and those weren't as new as we wanted them to be either. None of those systems had games for almost the first year, you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of those struggled from the same problems the Wii U had, but the Wii U became the scapegoat for that for those three consoles because and a whipping boy because it went through those problems first. Yeah. And because it didn't have the chance to go toe-to-toe with everybody else who also really didn't have much. I mean, my first year on Xbox One, like, I played Rise... I played Dead Rising 3. There were some interesting things there, you know, like, but nothing that really, like, kept me going for the whole year. Now it's kind of collecting dust, and I'm sure it'll turn, I'll turn it on when, you know, Quantum Break and a whole bunch of other games come out. But yeah. there wasn't a lot going on there. And I would say that the first year of titles on Xbox One and the first year of titles on Wii U and first year of titles on PS4, they're all kind of neck and neck. Like, I don't really see anything really standing out mm-hmm. there. But the Wii U got the brunt of all the hatred from everybody because it was the first one out the gate. And we wanted something new. We were starved for something after eight years with the same old systems. Sure. And here we are. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, well, the Wii U is uh, the name is a problem, but it's not their biggest problem. Yeah. And I would yeah. agree that, yeah, a lot of it was the branding. They didn't even show the system when they announced it they showed the the uh, gamepad and that was about it and like oh in that box under the tv is mm-hmm. the actual box and we couldn't tell if it was a wii that was sitting underneath the tel- yeah. television um you know game support has been bad i think it's interesting you bring up if it came out at the same time as the xbox one and the ps4 and this is going to be a bad comparison but it's kind of like the when the turbo graphic 16 or turbo duo was part of the conversation yeah. um you were talking about hey here's super nintendo here's sega genesis and here's this third system, the Turbo Graphics, and we're kind of putting, we're, we're doing comparisons and putting it in there, even though it's a very different system and doesn't have nearly the same power. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, there's much more awareness, and now all you hear is Xbox One and, and PS4, and so, you know, Wii U pops in every once in a while um, mm-hmm. as part of the conversation. It is odd how, uh, after the NES, the Super NES, the N64, the GameCube, and the Wii, which was five of the most striking, incredible uh, physical console designs I've ever seen. They came out with the Wii U, where the actual console itself is such an afterthought. I yeah. mean, that uh, to me, I, I'm you know, I'm a I'm an adult. I take my consoles, I put them in an entertainment center, I close the doors on them. Sometimes mm-hmm. I open them up to let them breathe. Like my PS4 is loud as hell. Like it's hot in yeah. there. Um, 
but I don't. It's it's sort of secondary to me. But then I saw the console design for the Xbox One and the PS4, and I'm like, these are really slick and really well thought out. And with one's Nintendo, a big VCR, the other is a sleek, futuristic yeah, kind of yeah. thing. But with Nintendo, um, and I'm not saying the Xbox One is gorgeous or anything, but mm-hmm. a little more work was put into that. No, than I agree. The Wii U, you, when right? you when you, you see just it, you round it off. Yeah, it's right? just yeah, you box see it on a shelf, and it's it's sort of simple, but it's painfully simple. You almost right. want it to look a little different and right. it, and when and especially when you see it side by side with a Wii you could almost confuse the two. I mean the minute you see one doesn't have round edges and one does, you know, oh, I know what that is. But I when th- you see circular ads where someone puts a Wii U gamepad next to an effing a Wii, you go, yeah. "Oh, like they got that wrong." Yeah. I mean, I, I think the Wii uh, you know, it's a cheap trick. They put it on this little plastic skateboard ramp, right? But it looks so slick how it was just like Oh, like it's popping out and it's on this angle and you walk in a room and it's vertical and it's white and you're like, there's something very, really special about this. Came with the vertical stand. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I mean, there was a lot of cool stuff going on there. And with the Wii U, it was sort of just like, here's this fat box, hide it wherever you want to hide it. Right. Just put it out of sight. But yeah. focus on the gamepad. And yeah, I, I, I think that was kind of a yeah, mistake. I, I would focus their problems more on it just being a software problem where I do feel like from month to month I'm still just not having enough games to play. And I work in media where, you know, we're usually flooded with things to do. And yeah. when I, you know, when I notice, granted, I'll play my Nintendo games for a long time, but I just started playing Mario Kart 8 again uh, this week, actually, mm-hmm. for the first time in a while. And I was like, wow, I haven't used this system in a bit. Yeah. But then it hits me, oh, that's why. Like, the next big release isn't until September. And that's something that, although Nintendo is, you know, trying to leverage, like, the eShop as a way to have more games available. And that's great. And the virtual console exists. And that, on paper, is great. Um, it's just still not coming into alignment for me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but that's that's why the indie stuff is so important because the indie stuff is what pads out your 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 big tentpole events throughout mm-hmm. the year, right? And I mean, I'm I'm playing The Last of Us on PS4 right now, and that's great. But before that, I was playing you know nothing but indie games. Like every single month, PlayStation Plus, they're like, here's two free games, and it's games like Fez, it's games like Road Not Taken, it's games like Doki Doki Universe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like these are not games that people are like rushing to stores to get. When when people write lists of all the best games coming to consoles, these are not the games people talk about. Yeah. But these are the games that should be on Wii U yep. because that's the type of thing that is sort of synonymous with keeping people playing your console in the months there aren't a new Mario and there aren't a new Zelda game. Even uh, if you look at uh, at one point, and we'll probably end with this point, but uh, Microsoft turned having really strong indie titles in the summer into an event. It was a summer of arcade. And for the most part, it typically delivered. I think maybe last year was the first year I didn't hear quite as much buzz come out of it. But when you thought of like, okay, they let off a braid, and then they went into something else, and they went into something else, and all those games were rad. Castle Crash is another year, I think. Shadow Complex. Yeah, Yeah. another great example. Um, There were just really good offerings there. And and turning it into an event and turning that into the story really helped get people excited. Whereas, oh, this really good game is out is not quite the same story yeah. and it's not quite the same focus and I think there's like it, it's kind of like it's almost more justifiable to play those games on Nintendo platforms for a number of reasons well One, Shovel Knight for sure Shovel Knight you have to play yeah. that on it just yes. feels like a right. Nintendo game right mm-hmm. like it, it, it borrowed from those roots and then built upon them and in such a clever way yep. um but it's also like I can justify a little easier when I play a game like that on a Nintendo console rather than like you know 
you bought a $400 or $500 supercomputer console to play 1,001 Spikes. It looks like an NES game. Yep. I mean, that's a little, that's a harder pill to swallow. Granted, games are games, and games are fun, and, and I love, I don't, I love games of, of all calibers. A good game is a good game no matter where you play it. But right. some but yes. people, you know, if you, bought, if you bought this system to show it off to people of what it can do, and your, you know, your pe- friends or neighbors are coming over, check out what the PS4 can do. It can play NES, <laughs> 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 plays NES games in HD. Right. All right. Okay, so uh, moving on, there is an update coming to Mario Kart 8, and not one Mercedes, not two Mercedes, but three <laughs> Mercedes-Benz. That's, it's that Dr. Mario money. As, yeah, uh, as, yes. As, it's uh, like an episode Altana of The Real Housewives. <laughs> it is. Um, so let's see, Mercedes Kart DLC and game update will launch August 27th, mm-hmm. same date as Japan, so this mm-hmm. is gonna, it looks like it's going to be a global uh, deal. So uh, let's see, it's the GLA... 1934 W25 Silver Arrow Formula and a Mercedes-Benz new compact SUV. Oh, no, that's the GLA. Oh, and there's a Roadster sports car. That's it, the Mm -hmm. 1957 300SL. I think it's ridiculous, but whatever. I'll take it. I have griped about this before. where I'm like, I didn't think Mario Kart needed real-life cars. Um, The trailer made it look fun. I will admit to that, seeing Luigi kind of hanging onto his hat for dear life on on a – I think he was on the Roadster. Yeah. Uh, was – I'm like, whatever. Uh, and if anything, this just inspires hope after this update. The update fixes a number of things, actually. I'll next track. Yeah, next, next race. Yes, right? <laughs> that is the biggest. So that needed to be fixed. <laughs> right. I was a crazy person when I was complaining no. about this here. Uh, don't do the highlight. I, <laughs> I would hit the button to go to the next See, race. I argued with people. They listened I was like, to us. Yeah, I argued with people and said, you know why that highlight is first? I was like, because they want you to see it. Like, you know how good those graphics are. Like, yeah. they want you to appreciate it. But after your fifth or tenth time accidentally yeah. hitting next highlight instead of next race i get why people got angry right. so those two switch uh, there's going to be stat tracking now so you're going to be able to see how many coins you have maybe win loss win loss is going to be atrocious for some of us <clears throat> brian and <laughs> uh let's see you can also save your last cart customization or you can edit other people's highlight reels so yeah. if brian ever updates uh, uploads a highlight reel yeah. on wii u which i've been waiting for just to see what kind of skills <laughs> the man has right yeah um i can then take it and edit it this is uh this is all really cool stuff because it's like I-, I feel like nintendo nintendo games are finally growing mm-hmm. and not like growing up but i mean like they're they're evolving post-release which was never a thing if you look at the last mario kart game on consoles mario kart wii they it it came out and it was like it's mostly broken. <laughs> Goodbye. Right. And then they just left. And then for yeah. years we we're like, well, oh, they we didn't gonna... patch games. No, yeah, right. that was do it. it. Yeah. So Whereas it's cool to see them will. making little tweaks like this. If it has to come with Mercedes cars, I'm okay with that. I think I still think well, it's you're, not, li- paying it, you're, not, right? you're not, yeah. not paying for it. You're not. You're not paying for it. It's a little ridiculous. I think that they they patch this stuff in post launch is okay. If if Mario Kart Nine comes with like a Mitsubishi Wiggler or like a, a <laughs> Nissan Lakitu Cloud, I'm gonna have problems with that because <laughs> that's like that's a little too much for me. But I don't know. I think the dichotomy between these, like, a, a you know, a baby carriage with with giant tires going up against a, a, a real car like a Mercedes. A it's GLA. Just, it's yeah. funny to me, man. Okay. It's just funny to me okay. to see a, a dinosaur driving a Mercedes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think is I never look at the cart anyway. Yeah. I'm mostly worried about what's flying at me and one position and everything yep. else. So it's probably going to get lost in the noise. I think it would be interesting if, what if it was, like, 
N64 battle mode tracks brought to you by Mercedes-Benz or something like that. What if, if they, if they you're racing on a big Mercedes logo? Well, no, no, I, like, it was N64. Like they uh-huh. just like, hey, here's the battle mode tracks, I and am, it's sponsored by by. I am so desperate for the N64 battle mode tracks that I might be okay. Yeah, we were. Aware. I don't want them to hear me. <laughs> right. I know. I know. I'm like, okay I, you know, we'll take a lot for that. Yeah. But the other, I mean, Block Four brought to you by Mountain Dew. Like, oh, oh no. I hate it. But uh, I can't wait to ride on it. <laughs> well, it, it also, um, you know, they're they're kind of patching things in, uh, making changes. I wonder if they'll do balance changes, like increase horn drop rate or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Because no one ever gets that. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. It's yeah. true. And, and I mean, the common complaint now outside of Highlight Reel and New Game or Next Race is uh, fixed battle mode. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it almost makes you wonder, you know, is that going to happen or not? Um, and also, you know, voice chat, I guess, was the other thing. But I guess we all kind of well you may have the lobby right and it, it, yeah, I but, guess, yeah but in That's the race it. yeah you can't yeah. yell anything all right the race about to start bye yeah. it just cuts you off yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, like, this is how this is how you keep the conversation going around a game like this you know i don't know if mario kart 8 is going to have the same legs that its predecessors did but it could with stuff like this like sure. if it's constantly in the press and it's, gamers are, are still playing it and talking about it like you just started playing mario kart again because you read yeah. these news stories no right? this was like the day before i want to yeah. say that i brought it to existence actually. oh good yeah good. that's why good. i was just home but like i know like, in a mario few weeks kart. when this when this update hits i'm gonna spend the whole weekend playing mario yeah, kart again be yeah. you know? and then if uh, I'll, I'll probably keep playing from there and if a couple weeks later they're like here's another new thing then, yeah, and, yeah and keep hope alive for dlc tracks man like i think it, I, I i've said on this podcast i was worried that it's not going to happen only because i'm i guess i've grown accustomed to how current sort of publishers handle it where like within 30 to 45 days you've heard something is coming later so right. you know to be ready if that's your jam or not um and they haven't said a word yeah right um but i still think it's happening if they're gonna go as far as putting in three real life mercedes cars in this game they have to be thinking okay we can bring back some retro tracks we can introduce some new tracks it's interesting though because i got an argument uh with someone at a bar recently over dlc where uh um the the gentleman or this is uh (laughs) well he he seemed real cynical towards it and it's probably because of horse armor where Mm -hmm. he's just like you know i'm just sick and tired of getting nickel and dimed I, and, just, uh, I love this idea of you being at a bar. You smash a bottle on the floor. I didn't smash a bottle on the floor over it. I'm so tired of getting nickel and dime over this <laughs> DLC. More tender. More importantly, I tried to make the case that because um, he was trying to argue that he felt Smash would be compromised. Why? Because of Amiibo. And I was like, oh. that's not happening. I was like, Amiibo is going to be a thing where you're going to buy these figures and they're going to have stats and individual leveling and you're going to be able to save custom movesets to it. But is the core Smash experience going to lose something be- if you didn't own Amiibo? Yeah. I would argue it won't because Nintendo has not ever... Sh- so far, the entire message doesn't sound like that's going to happen. Mm-mm. And I'm trying to explain this, and maybe he had had too much alcohol, but it was not registering, and mm-hmm. I eventually gave up. But uh, I just didn't agree. I'm just like, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, don't think don't Amiibo's going to... Don't drink and fight about And Amiibo's argue about video games. Yeah, that's pretty much what I learned that night. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I just don't think Nintendo's that cynical. I think you, you mentioned they haven't announced anything, uh, you know, for additional DLC. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, they might just be waiting to see how this DLC does. Yeah. Right? How mm-hmm. many players actually do update and play on those tracks because they can track all of that. That's and right. so it's like, all right, if this is successful, we see another, like, bump in sales and everything because of this. Yep. Then, all right, then we can continue on that. And, sure. You know, maybe we'll... we'll We'll do the tracks or whatever, but if you know there's all this free stuff and fixes, but nobody cares about it, then why would we invest the time? Yeah, I guess that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yep. I didn't think about that. 
Absolutely. All right, cool. So uh, last quick thing we want to talk about is uh, on Monday there was a Hyrule Warriors Nintendo Direct focused on talking about new modes coming to that game. Adventure mode sounds rad, by the way. Oh, yeah, I actually totally. want to want to play that. It's weird because uh, we've definitely gone from ourselves being really cynical towards Hyrule Warriors because it's just you, you kind of go in almost feeling like, this isn't a Zelda. I don't know if I want this, but I feel. And we had a discussion last week where they've shown a lot, and I feel with each thing they've shown, they've gotten more and more of my attention. Um, this direct included where they ended with Ganon is playable, and I think that's cool. Like I'm, I'm there for that. If Ganon is the new Lubu, I'm with it. Like I'll be there. I'll I, play it. I keep it. thinking about this game like it's one of those. Uh, it's like one of those giant buffets in Vegas where you're just like. I don't know if any of this food's going to be amazing, but there's so much of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like yeah, everywhere you got to try it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, yeah. but you got to try it because it's like you turn over the corner here and you're like, oh, they got a sushi bar, they got pizza over here. There's, oh, there's so much food, I got to mm-hmm. try it all. Right. Um, and it's just like you know, this is I keep saying this is like this mixtape of Zelda fan service, and it's really yeah, awesome. But it's so not stuff. a Zelda game, and if you're listening nope. to this podcast griping over that this is somehow related to Zelda, let it go. Like I think <laughs> once you do that, you may actually like start to realize. Like, okay, this is an action game that is totally just that Zelda fan service. And if you buy into that, great, that's for you. If you don't, stay the hell away from it. Like, like that's Dragon it. Quest Rocket Slime or something like this yeah. offshoot. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. I, I always say it was like, you know, this game got a lot of heat when it was the only Zelda console game we knew was happening. Right. And then Zelda for Wii U was shown. And it was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. I'll you know I'll play this while I wait for that. Like, right. if this was the only thing on the on the table right now, then yeah, I'd be I'd be a little irked. But right now I'm like, cool. I get to play some weird Zelda action spinoff this fall, and then next year I get to play a Zelda for Wii U. Hopefully, fingers mm-hmm. crossed. You get to play yeah. something new this fall. Yeah. That's the amazing. Exactly. Thing. Oh man, right. uh, Captain Toad. Yeah, that yep. Hyrule Warriors. There's going to be a bloody stuff too, so it'll be interesting. All right. Well, we've hit that point in the show. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to spend a lot of time talking to Stephen about his collection. Some of the things he brought in and uh, some of his stories, tips, and advice. More when we come back. Much, Jose Otero, joined by Brian Altano, and special guest Stephen Lin. Stephen, yes. first time I came across and found out who you were, you were tweeting about something I never thought I'd see. Yeah. You were, you were, t- you were sharing images from a manual. Uh, it was sort of, a, I think it was for the Super Nintendo, the CD add-on was just like sort of when they were talking to Sony, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so this was actually uh, part of the Philips um, CD-ROM documentation. So they were shopping it around and, and sending it out to developers. So I had a, through like some of my collecting, I came across paperwork that was basically, here's the tech specs for the device, and then here are some of the things that it can do. Um, so I didn't 
it had actually never been seen um, before. So I just mm -hmm. started like scanning pages and posting it on there. Um, and then, yeah, everybody picked it up. Um, but that that's part of, you know, where I am as a collector now is finding things that were probably thrown away in mm -hmm. most cases. You know, a developer yeah. went out of business, they just shredded all the paper, right? Yeah. But there's yeah. a lot of inter interesting information in there. You know, like... I don't think the specs had ever been revealed uh, for the CD-ROM attachment. And so, well, here it is. This is at least what it was supposed to be like with Philips. Who knows when, you know, they were talking with Sony. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, it blew my mind because I never thought I'd see that. And much like everyone who picked it up, it was just one of those, holy cow, this, this someone is going out of the way to preserve things like this. And then I did a little more digging and I learned more about your collection, essentially. So I guess I should start with when did you start collecting and why? Uh, well, I don't think, I, I guess... When I defined myself as a collector was probably in like early teens, but even as a kid, you know, my first game system was the 2600 and then went to ColecoVision. I just never got rid of anything and I always wanted to preserve it. Um, you know, what I usually tell is my parents, uh, my father was an economist and my mother was a CPA, and they encouraged me to not only like learn about the games, but also the companies that were making them. Wow, um, so like, you know, I, I'm, I'm the nerdiest like 10 year old looking up stock ticker symbols for the game companies because <laughs> I want to see how they do. Right. Yeah. And my dad's mm -hmm. like, so who's releasing some great game? I'm like, let me see. And you know, a lot of the companies were Japanese at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, tr I started following the industry as well. Um, and then I got really lucky as a teenager. Um, I was, well, before I could work legally, I would just mow every lawn in the neighborhood and use all that money to buy video games. Um, but then once I be, you know, was able to work, I worked at a used game store. And this was right at that transition between NES and Super Nintendo mm -hmm. and Sega Genesis. So everybody was trading in all their old NES stuff. Oh, and man, yeah. the, the key for me was we had our trade-in list, which was the first time I'd ever seen a full list of every game that probably came out for the NES. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, so, that's great. Yeah, yeah, so there was something I could actually check off. Because yeah. up until then, it was just, you know, you go to the Toys R Us giant wall and like, okay, yeah, you got to pull these tags. But then I was like, all right, here's something that I have and I can actually like look in inventory in other stores um, and just start picking them up. When, so that, when I bought my NES, it came with a book. Yeah. That, uh, I don't know if you know. The Player's Guide. The it's, Player's yeah, Guide. Yeah, yeah. And that was the closest I had to this sort of like uh, – anthology of having any idea of how many games are on the system. But then Japan and Europe had opened up entire new worlds to that. So yeah. Well, that, either trade-in lists in, in like EGM and yeah. all those other magazines, like those yeah. were helpful. Um, and then once I had a full list, they, it was like, all right, now I got to start ticking these off. So that became your personal checklist. Yeah, that became my personal That's checklist, so right? And, and it, sometimes there's things that nowadays you're like, why did they, you know, I saw stadium events. I'm like, I already have that one. And, you know, oh, coming yeah. through the store and yeah. didn't pick it up. You know, Flintstones, Surprise at Dinosaur Peak, all those really but, but rare so games. I have, I have a friend, Ryan Scott, right? Mm -hmm. And he's uh, he's he's a, a, a huge NES collector. You obviously blow him out of the water. <laughs> but it, it always amazes me, uh, and it, this is something no one can predict. It always amazes me to what games go on to be the ones that, oh, that yeah. be, uh, become the most, like, sought after. Like, Flintstones... Uh, what was it called? So, uh, Flintstone Surprise at Dinosaur Peak. Right. That, so that's the game you see when you're 10 and you're in a store and you're like, no way. Yeah. And you keep going. But now that's one of the rarest NES games ever made. Panic Restaurant, there's this like, chef with a piece of bread in yeah. his hand. Like, what is that? Yeah, I don't want to exactly. play that game. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, and the other thing was we would always cut up our boxes so we could do the display box. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, but all these boxes are in such great shape. So 
I started, you know, basically keeping all the boxes and manuals as well. Um, and so it's from then that I basically became a complete in-box collector. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that just continued, right? Like, yeah. I, there was ebb and flow, you know, when I got out of college, not a whole lot of money or even in college. Um, but then afterwards, they're like, okay, eBay starts becoming a thing. Um, I had been doing a lot of trading on Usenet news groups and yeah. things like yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, uh, Classic Gaming Expo was really focused on uh, Atari and, and television and, and things like that. And people would show up at the NES games and like, NES, that's not old. And, you know, at the time, right? But I was able to pick up a lot there. Uh, And then from there, it just kind of grew until where it is now. Um, You know, I completed a bunch of collections. And once those are complete, it's now what's the next step? Like, there's all these ways you can get into, like, oh, three screw versus five screw or sealed games or all these other things. So So you you mentioned in college, you didn't have, obviously, you were in college, you didn't have a lot of money to keep that uh, I almost called it a habit. It sort of is, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it kind of is, yeah. Uh, I, I would say that there's a the, 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 the line between uh, collecting and hoarding is uh, organization. Yes, absolutely. Pretty much, because otherwise you're just like, I'm a collector, and you're like, you have a house full of piles. Oh, yeah. You're like, I'm a collector, and it's like, oh, you have everything lined up in a row. Right. But did you ever have this moment where you were like, uh, this is I'm I'm getting forget this I'm done I'm gonna get rid of this stuff I'm gonna pare down the collection just throw away the boxes they take up too much room. Well, I never got into the throw away the boxes, um, but I have done paring down from time to time. And in fact, I'm kind of in one of those phases now. Um, and this is something that Mike Micah brought up. You know, we were collecting before because nobody else was. The mm-hmm. collecting video games was sounded like a crazy hobby. Um, and now that everybody is collecting. It's pretty easy to get everything. You just want to spend the money. Um, so now it's more, you know, where collect where I feel I'm grateful that I did build this collection because it led me to being offered things like the Super Nintendo CD manual or you know some of the cartridges here. Um, people know that you're a, a collector and you're a serious one, and so things that you know you don't normally come across in flea markets or whatever are going to be offered to you before they go up for sale. Oh, that's awesome! So, uh, yeah. So you mentioned completing sets. How many sets did you complete, would you say? Uh, what, can you just name some yeah, systems? Yeah, I can name some. So um, NES uh, complete in box with unlicensed. North America. Um, North America, yeah. Okay, uh, and Super Nintendo, uh, N64, TurboGrafx. Uh, I had a Saturn collection, but I actually traded it towards uh, the stadium events that okay. we have in front of us. Got it. Um, things like Vectrex, uh, yeah. Dreamcast with all the variants. Um, Virtual and, Boy? Uh, Virtual Boy, yeah. Virtual okay. Boy, uh, so I didn't go into the Japanese. I pretty much just U.S. released okay. it, so got Jack it, yeah. Brothers is the Virtual Boy, was, you're like, you got to 21 games. You're like, I'm set. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. okay. It's, well, it's a very short set. Yeah, yeah it's, it, I think that's the thing. It's that one and like Turbo Graphics, everything's, oh, it's easy. But then you, it's, it, it gets really hard near the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's more games that are worth more money, especially on you know, Turbo Graphics 16. Yeah, sure. so, so how, many, how many games are in each one of those sets? Like, what's in the NES set? Is it? NES is a, like, like in like the high 700s, um, yeah. Some people like sort of like debate because there's that stuff like Huge Insect and and all those other yeah. weird Sachin games. Um, and then yeah, Super Nintendo's right around the same thing. Uh, so those are big ones. Dreamcast, I think, is I want to say 300. So it's it's all yeah. on a rack. So like, yep. did you ever get into yep. like handhelds? 
Yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. Com- uh, Game and Watch. I have all of those. Um, with wait, boxes. what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wait. So, how many in the U.S.? Wait, uh, well, U.S. So or the, Japanese? It's or? kind of a mix, right? It's okay, more like a representation of each one. And the hardest one is obviously the Super Mario Brothers contest. That's right. Um, and then uh, I didn't get into the bigger. I guess Game and Watch you can consider like the mini, like Coleco-like mini arcades. Mm-hmm. I don't have all of those. Okay. Um, for me, it was more like I remember as a kid. You know, we would travel to Asia, and usually I would get one of those. And you know, it's one game. It's super simple. It's like two buttons or something. But yeah. I would play the hell out of those. Yeah, those, oh, yeah. those are the games yeah. I started when on. When there's right. game A and game B, yeah. Yeah, some yeah, of them yeah. too. So and it was just a variant in some ways. Wow, that's rad. I yeah. had no idea. The well, I have this weird game like how many gaming watches is that? Sorry. Uh, no, it's, so that's it's around like ninety or so. Oh, wow, um, really? Yeah. There were ninety of those. Well, there's like all kinds of like you know variants and yeah. things like yeah, that. Yeah, um, yeah. It has like the crystal screen and, yep. and stuff. So the um, I think for me, I, for some reason, Octopus, whenever I see that, I need to buy it. It's kind of like Catcher in the Rye or something. Like Whenever I see an octopus, because like, that was a game I really liked as yeah, a kid yeah, yeah. and I played the most of. Mm-hmm. And so I have, you know, like, Five or ten of them, I, it just like loose, boxed, whatever it is. Like maybe something's different about this one, but yeah. Wow. So you have these all in this in this like personal museum of yours. Well, yeah, it, um, some of it's in storage right now mm-hmm. um, because I, I live between San Francisco and Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of have the collection split a little bit, and then um, yeah, it's all cataloged though. So yeah. you know, I how many how how many nights a week do you like you shut off the the light behind you and you're closing the door and you look back and you're like. Damn, I'm good at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so you know, closing the gate on storage. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, you know, this is there. I think it's when um, I come across something new, mm-hmm. um, and it's really exciting because you know, early on, I was like, oh, I don't have this game. It's like a checklist. But ne- once there's no checklist, then it's like finding that next collecting high gets harder and harder. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like, oh, you got to find something that doesn't exist. And it gets to the point now where, you know, I would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning so I could phone bid on auctions that were happening live in Paris yeah. um, and, and you know, figuring out the Euro-US conversion mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, but, you know, like I said, right now, there's less that I'm kind of picking up and more of, you know, seeing what, what comes out. Uh, someone announces they have a prototype. If they want to sell it, I'll try to buy that and dump it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of the big thing that I'm into right now. I just I love that uh, your parents were involved in sort of setting you some, somewhat on this track. I mean, and they were kind of encouraging you to learn more about the industry. Which well, his dad was getting stock market tips out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, really? Like Lisa the Greek, right? I'm like, oh, you should buy these these companies. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was it was a big thing. But yeah, yeah. It, it's you know they're kind of teaching. And then I think it was like more industry, and that's you know nowadays uh, you know read Blake Blake's book uh, mm-hmm. and and a bunch of you know meeting some of these people. You know, I worked with Bernie Stoller at Google, yeah. and I was like, "Wow, that's the dream I remember too. when you did these things, yeah. and like, why did you get fired the day before the Dreamcast came out, yeah. and things like that?" Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You get to hear all these stories, and and so it's knowing the personalities and the people, the creators of these yeah. things, not just like, "Oh, I want to buy this cartridge." Absolutely, yeah. Wow. So, uh, what are what are some that you have missed out on? The ones that got away. The ones that got away. Uh, well, they didn't get away for very long. Uh, <laughs> you said the Indiana Jones yeah, video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it belongs to Yeah, I got Belloc, you know. <laughs> the ship blew up, but I still got my NWC. We'll, we'll meet again. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Right, right. Yeah, you didn't win this time, kid. And, mm-hmm. you know, but um, I, I think when I was... Uh, when I was starting off collecting, uh, there were things that were outrageous to me. Like, for instance, the Nintendo World Championships. Which is sitting on this yeah, table. Yeah, which is sitting on this table. So, the gray. Yeah, um, yeah. so I was a semifinalist, actually, in the competition no um, in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. And 
I lost on the stage to, you know, one of the guys who went to, to um, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it always bugged me because, you know, I kind of froze up on Tetris and was like, no, the, all games. Like, I love yeah. Tetris. Yeah. And so I knew that, uh, you know, through Usenet and everything, I knew that these carts had gone out. But there was really no seller's market, right? There, there was the guy who tracked down the golds, which we can get into in a bit. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I knew the cartridge was floating out. And so a year or so after I graduated college, I was like, I, I want to buy one of these. And one of them showed up on eBay. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's already up to like $600. This is a ridiculous amount of money. I can't believe I'm thinking about spending this much money on an NES game. And I ended up putting in, I think I tried to snipe it. Like twelve hundred dollars, which at I the time snipers. It's totally me, by the way. Yeah, I, I'm not going to deny it's it. Every time, yeah, it's me every time. That's how I get this stuff. Um, huh, you, oh, I'm going to put it a bid, and someone can just see if they. No, no I know. No, no, it, was, it was pathetic thinking. <laughs> like, I want, I'm in it to win it. Um, so, I, you know, I put in a and I lost. And there was that moment of seeing, you know, the timer tick down and seeing you lost, and like, okay. I just put in this insane bid for a Nintendo game, and I didn't get it. Like, what do I need to do to get one of these? And um, it was after that, you know, I kind of tracked them, and I did end up end up um, getting one from another collector that I had for a very long time. Uh, but then uh, Heather Martin, who uh, was the one of the female semifinalists, um, put hers up for sale, and I, I liked the provenance in her story. Um, plus, the cart was in better condition, okay. mm-hmm. so I ended up picking up this one, and then um, I donated the the one I had to Child's Play, and they auctioned it at the uh, it. Child's Play. So wait, auction. which one was hers? Uh, hers, yes, okay. the gray. So, so how did she get it exactly? She like, was won it. Given so to, she, oh. yeah, she oh. was actually a finalist. Okay, and they handed her the cartridge. So what happened was when the competition ended. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like Thor and a couple other parents where That's they right. were like, hey, um, we should like get one of these cartridges. Yeah. Like, Okay, sure. So they gave out the 90 to the finalists there, and that's where the 90 number comes from when everyone says there's 90 gray cartridges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's definitely more, right, because they, they broke down during the course of this road tour, right, from New York to California, um, and serial numbers go all the way up into, like, the 300s or so. Oh, wow. Yeah, so th- there's definitely more. Now, whether or not they were all destroyed and not working, the, the best theory is that they did – you know, the 90 they gave out, and then they took whatever was left working and then made the golds for the Nintendo Power competi- uh, con- Contest. Okay. And this is number 81. I'm yeah. just reading it for folks right here. Um, so the, what's the story with the gold one, then? The gold Nintendo World Championship cartridge, it's the same thing. Yeah. The same it's the game, same game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, the, I mean, it's, I guess people call it like sort of the holy grail of collecting. Um, it's a Nintendo Power Contest that ran after... Uh, Nintendo World Championships, and they said, "Hey, you know, enter to win um, one of these cartridges." And the I think the picture in the ad shows like a red label with the NWC logo on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the actual one they gave out, which is, I mean, I don't know how well this is going to show up on on mm-hmm. camera, but it, it looks like someone cut it out of a piece of paper, you know, with an X-Acto knife and used a glue stick to stick it yeah. on there, right? That's, that's, <laughs> which they totally did. Yeah, which they totally yeah. did, right? Yeah, it was yeah. like it's a like, leftover I, Zelda I gold I remember cart. that contest, by the way, because I got every issue of Nintendo Power. I, right. I remember that distinctly because I had I had a friend uh, in school that came back one weekend and he had the Nintendo World Championships hat on right. that they gave out to, you know, whoever got, however far you had to get in that tournament right. to get a hat. Or they gave it to everyone who was there, I don't remember. <laughs> he might have just been lying to me. Right. Um, but he said he made it pretty far and I remember being really geeked out and a bunch of kids in school were just like, 
like, what's that? That's dumb. And I'm yeah. like, you don't understand. Yeah, well, it's it's like, the quality of the print. It's not really that. No, it's yeah, not. It's I mean, it's very low res. Like, yeah. like take a closer look yeah, at that. Yeah, that's like yeah. early generation inkjet printer. It looked like it, it, it yeah. looks like it was printed out on an NES. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, they had it's the really loom awesome. and then yeah. they had, yeah, the yeah. printer attachment. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this is... Uh, you know, they made they released 26 of them and then uh, the way that these got out to collectors is there was one very specific collector um, who on the in the issue where they announced the winners they announced, they showed the name and then their hometown of all the 26 winners so he went through phone books and called what? everybody on the list like uh, like those last names trying to find the winners oh my god and he was able to get I think uh, about Nine of them, I think, it was twenty six of twenty six. And so we called him like, "Hey, you, I heard you won this thing. I can't imagine getting this phone this call." Is, like, this this needs to be a movie, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, so that's and and you know, there's only thirteen of the twenty six that have been found, and you know, almost all of them came from the same same guy. Um, and wow. yeah, so that, you know, that's how these got out. And okay. of course, you know, they're they're extremely rare. They very rarely tra- change hands. Um, and then, you know, because now people know about them, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the everybody knows about the guy. Them. All the guys right. on that list were like, "Oh yeah, my dumb kid got the stupid yeah. thing in a concert." You know, Fifty a bucks, hundred bucks. Yeah, sure. So there's actually a, a, a gray Nintendo World Championships that became infamous. It was the one that went for like ninety thousand, yeah. or like the closing bid, but yeah. never mm-hmm. paid. But the labels ripped off, and someone wrote Mario in pen. I've right? seen that. Yeah, and so it's like. Yeah, it was. It's this Mario game that's kind of broken because all of a sudden Rad Racer comes up and then yeah. it turns into Tetris. I don't know what's happening. But here. that was autographed by the talk about not, Mario. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Talk about not knowing what you had though when you wrote Mario on it. And yeah, stuff. yeah. Oh. It's like God, so. I mean, that's that's what's fascinating to me about about collecting it was like we said about it before about like the Flintstones game and stuff yeah. like that is um, a lot of people like th- th- it's not. It's not like somebody buying like the rarest, you know, elephant tusk in the world, or right. it's like this ornate gold uh, piece of furniture that you know was toiled away thousands of hours. Like stadium events, right here, it has a price tag stuck on the side that yeah. says ten ninety nine. Yes, right. that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, you saw I that. love that part of my stadium <laughs> event. It's so awesome. Yeah. I, re- I really think that's fascinating. Yeah. That it's not. It's not like this is you know something that thousands of people worked on for thousands of hours. This is something that's just like. It just existed in very such a small quantity. It was Wait, very uh, special to a what, very what small Nintendo group of people. Nintendo game sold for ten ninety nine? Well, this like, is what? so. This was from a rental store. Okay, uh, so there's a sticker. So that's on the, the rental yeah. sticker. Well, price. no, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they they sold off their inventory. Got but yeah, it. Okay. I mean that's a good point because in video games, and this is the thing that's kind of annoying, and some people think, well, this might lead to a crash or whatever. Is the most expen in most cases, the most expensive games are the rarest. And also the worst. Yeah. Right? And so it's like, like G.I. Joe number two in the comics. That comic was terrible, but yeah, it yeah. like rose in price. And, you know, you look at the games that are really high up there on the NES, it's like Caltron 6 and 1. Like, that game, that's not even a game. Cheetah Men. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Cheetah Men's broken. awful. broken. You can't finish yeah. it, right? Yeah. There's all these things that are weird about those titles. Well, but... because if Cheetah Men sold 10 million copies, then there'd be 10 million Cheetah Men at, or Cheetah Mans. I don't know how that Cheetah works. Cheetah Mans. Yeah. <laughs> Let me show you my Cheetah Mans. Um, yeah. <laughs> So they, uh, yeah, and it's like if it sold well, then we everybody here. But then I think that's going to be the, the weird thing. It's like it's the one that you need to fill the space. Yeah, right. Or, or check that last box, and there'll always be collectors. But at, at some point, it just becomes insurmountable. And you can see that in like NES and Super Nintendo pricing. You know, they'll all they'll be the thing that's really expensive. Whatever's 
two or three steps away from that mm-hmm. will start rising too. Because um, people are like, oh, I can't get like mountain bike racer, speed racer on Super Nintendo. I'm going to go for the next best yeah, thing. Super Torque and Tube yeah. or something, right? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of keep moving down the list. And then you see these like spikes because people are like, oh, I thought I could get bonks on NES cheap and now it's $800. Like, yeah. What happened? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious why some of the um, some of your collection didn't dip over to buying Japanese versions of some of these games. Like Mega Man 4, for example, yeah. there are only eight carts in existence that are gold for right. the people who won the Make a Boss champion like mm-hmm. competition they had. Uh, a big thing for me was uh, replicating the experience I had when I walked into a store. Mm. Um, and it was seeing like all the boxes either front or side, and that's actually the reason I collect boxes as well mm-hmm. because yeah. like you never saw loose carts, right? Yeah. It was always the no. box. That's right. And you never saw loose carts. Yeah, no, sure. uh, and so uh, you know I, I liked having the boxes, and when I you know my family and I tri- uh, took trips to Asia, and I would see these things like oh that's really cool and exotic, but uh, it just had a little bit less of appeal. I think the only system that I've gone and gotten more Japanese games is probably PC Engine. Um, Because I really, like, it was around that time, you know, I was becoming, uh, you know, I was a teenager, and I went to Asia, and I played a ton of PC Engine stuff before the Turbo Graphics came out. So that was, like, my first experience with that system. And so Mm -hmm. it's, you know, finding Darius Alpha and and, and the really rare, like, special editions. Um, I'll get those. But then, yeah, um, you know, for Famicom, I'll pick, I got Punch-Out!, like the gold, the gold punch card, out, yeah. yeah. There's a fun like story that. behind that one. How did that one come into existence again? I think I forget. That was a that was contest. A, that was also a contest. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, so you know, I have I have some of that stuff. Um, but yeah. yeah, trying to complete full collections or anything on in Japan, I you know, there's a language barrier as well. I, right? I find it I find it very fascinating, and I completely agree about the the uh, the sort of putting putting the box art on a pedestal because it, it it is sort of a lost art now. Yeah. And I do feel, and you know, I. You know, we work for IGN, and uh, to find out if a game's good or bad, you come here and you read about it, and may- maybe you read a review, maybe you formulate your own opinion because we've got thousands of hours of media and trailers and screenshots and previews to read and watch and stuff like that. <laughs> but back then, you just had you the walk into a store and you're like. <laughs> Man, I hope these stadium events are good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you walked out, and that was it. And you were like, yeah. "Dad, can I get this?" You know, um, and that that's kind of gone away. And that's, I kind of want to parry that to my next question: is mm-hmm. sort of we're watching the 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 death of tangible media. Yep. Right. And I, I think that in in many ways it. Uh, puts more and more of an emphasis on um, collectors like you and your passions and, and what you've done mm-hmm. so far, but it also uh, decreases the amount of people like you going forward. Right. Um, and I do see uh, there's two sides to the coin when something like Earthbound comes out for the Wii U, right? It comes out for a virtual console. Um, obviously, there's an entire generation of people who have never played that game before who are going to play it for the very first time, mm-hmm. but the collector's market suddenly takes a hit, or does it? Like, what is the impact on, on things like that happening? Uh, so EarthBound did take a little bit of a hit. Um, you saw kind of some of the values drop, especially cart only. I think that's the one thing, and um, we saw this in the Atari market uh, early on where everything complete in box and loose was going up like crazy, and then those people aged out of collecting. Yeah. I think that you, know, you have the, in your 30s, like, I have disposable income, I really want to get whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear some people, it's like, oh, my first system was an N64, I'm like, or a PlayStation. I'm like, oh my God, how we old am I? We interview people like yeah, that here. Right. It's terrifying. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> but then 
you know, it, then they age out. And so what usually stays up near the top of the market are the really rare things and the complete things. And everything that's loose sort of dropped off. And so I think you saw that with Earthbound. There was no way other way to play it except for an emulator. Yeah. And it's like, okay, now I can I can play it, you know, on the system. Um, it's interesting you make, bring up the, the switch to digital because um, I switched a while ago. The last disc I actually bought was The Last of Us. I thought it was kind of a good yeah. it last CD to buy, um, but everything I bought since then is digital. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most collector's editions really aren't collector's editions anymore. You know, they'll still do mass print runs. Yep. Um, and so, like, you know, I- I'm fine with it being digital. I actually like seeing people play these games. Um, you know, for me, games is not, collecting games isn't really an investment. So I'm in a different, I'm in a very different place from a lot of collectors where, you know, like if something comes out and it drops the market or like they find, a huge, huge palette of Earthbounds, like, I'm not going to be devastated by that because sure. more people will play it. Yeah. Um, but I think for some people, like, looking at these things like an investment, I, I always tell people, don't do that. So this is, this is a personal conquest for you, basically. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I, I, really wanted, cool. yeah, I wanted to have these, and, and uh, you know, we are talking before the, the show, um, the vast majority of my collection is going to be donated to the Video Game History Museum, um, Strong Museum of Play, especially the yes. paper stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Library of Congress is doing some interesting things, especially with, like, they just announced the Duke Nukem PSP source code they just came yeah. across. Um, so it's stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll sell things, like, here and there uh, at game conventions and more just talking with people and seeing yeah. what their passions are. No, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's I mean, I feel like the uh, the... You know the the Simpsons comic book guy is sort of the he's the the bad stereotype that ruined it for a lot of collectors. But you know, as we can see today, they're yeah, you're not all like that. Well, yeah. it's it's really competitive. I think now you know we uh, kind of moving up to how you are how to be a collector now. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing for me that was a huge benefit that doesn't really work as well now is. Everybody knew I collected games. And so I would just get people calling me up like, oh, I got this big box of games. Do you want it? And, you know, they would just hand over this box of games. Or, you know, I I had the means to be able to buy out people who were getting out of collecting. And you mentioned, like, the the collector versus hoarder. Yeah. I've definitely bought um, collections that were crazy. Like, the one I call the collection of best intentions. And the reason I call that is an entire garage full of bins, just all bins of systems and games. And I opened up a bin, and all it was, it was, I think, 30 Atari 5200s in this ginormous bin. And like, like six, all six rats. Well, no, yeah, like dead skeletons. <laughs> but the thing was, on every one was this piece of uh, masking tape that said what was wrong with the system. So at one point, he was thinking, I will repair these systems. I will rehabilitate them. The intentions. Oh, yeah. Right. And, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. never got around to it, right? Of course, because so that's just, impossible. Yeah, okay. why, and why would you do that yeah. for a 5200? So yeah. I think that you know, if people know that you're a collector. Things will probably come your way, mm-hmm. right? And now there's a lot more, so there's going to be a lot more competition on that. Um, but I think it's, it's still good advice, right? Yeah. Letting people know that you collect um, because now – because of things like Twitter and, and you know my participation in news groups, people will offer me stuff that we've never seen for sale before. Okay, so how uh, so? Let's go through a few more yeah, of these. How sure. did you acquire the Stadium Events? Uh, so Stadium Events was my uh, my white whale for a long time. It was the last game I needed for okay. NES for a complete um, NES yeah, seven hundred something box, right. Yeah, I had everything but this. CID. Yeah, I had everything wow. boxed except for this, and so um, I knew someone who had it. Uh, and I basically just made him a, uh, an offer. Uh, yeah. Okay. And I said, hey, you know, this is the last one I need. 
here's a, here's a dollar amount mm-hmm. and then like sell it to me right and we did some negotiation and so on average what do stadium events go for these days uh complete in box it hasn't really been sold in a while um i think the discussion was somewhere in like the 15,000 to 17,000 range i mean the box is really hard to find and yeah. the cart alone has been jumping faster than i expected i think it was you know just a year or two ago it was you know 1300 dollars card now it's hitting like 3000 so mm-hmm. um yeah i mean that's a lot to pay for a piece of cardboard but it was also not out for very long so yeah. i also yeah. really respect that you are the complete in box guy versus i've always thought carts alone are just the worst way to go and you yeah. see a lot yeah. in japan i love going to japan because japan is very meticulous in terms of quality and the used game shop like they right on the front like you know i have a friend who will translate but yeah. will tell me hey like the manual is bent on one page right. or something like that yeah, like oh, yeah. They, they grade the it catalog a, a, B, grade C, D, it. all that stuff is all that stuff. About buying stuff but um there. when i see the cart only and there's plenty and there's some people who come over from the west uh with me who like just a oh, cart's good enough i'm like no it's not <laughs> i was like absolutely not i will yeah. not you just play the buy game a cart. if you just want to play the game loose is fine Right. Yeah. And and especially like Japanese games, you go to But that's Akibara. the thing. I never just want to play the game. Yeah, I want to see the manual. Yeah. I want to see the inserts. I want to like I that's why I'm very selective with the games I go after. Right. But I always make sure okay, complete in box, like this is what I want and then I tell my friend translate that. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, what that's, I want. that's part of all of it to me. I mean just even flipping through those manuals is part of that a, you, I really oh, yeah, you talk yes. about how you, yeah. you know, you you buy these games in box because when you're a kid, that's the association you have. Right. And the manuals all part of it. And obviously that's another dead thing these yeah. days. It doesn't yeah. even exist. When you bought The Last of Us, it probably came with a piece of paper that said, yeah. you know, it had a picture of a middle finger on it. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> learn how to play. We have a tutorial built into the game. Yeah, Why would you need a manual, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and you know, or they build in home, home like menus, like right. electronic digital ones. Have you seen those? And Actually, yeah. I do. It's I, not like, you don't get this, like, Birdo's a transsexual thing? Like, no. it's in the manuals? Like, none of that I, anymore. I do like what Nintendo's doing now with virtual console stuff where you can kind of go through and flip through the original manuals. Yeah, the Game, and, Boy, yeah. The game Boy Advance stuff, they've been doing that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, there's Which a way to cool. flip through. Yeah, it even has old ads, like the Game Boy players in yeah. there. And I'm just yeah. wondering if someone's looking at this going, Mom, what's a Game Boy player? <laughs> I don't know. Mom, yeah. what's a Game Boy? What's a Game Boy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, you also have uh, Donkey Kong Country, uh, what is that? Oh, the competition. competition. Yeah. Yeah. So what's yeah. up with this one? I, I don't know anything about this one. All right, so this is a, it was used in Power Fest 94, which is kind of Nintendo's college competition uh, that came later, yep. and then also used in the Blockbuster Championships 2. Uh, so it's kind of an edited version of Donkey Kong Country. A couple levels are missing, but it's a five-minute timer, and it's collect as many points as possible. So it's like bananas and throwing uh, the barrels and things like that. Yeah. And so on YouTube, you can find like speed runs and distance runs and things like that, like how far can you get before you know, it free And so what happens at five minutes, it just freezes, and you just capture the score. So uh, that was used in the Blockbuster competition. And then after Afterwards, they sold it in the Nintendo Power uh, merch catalog. So I think it was like forty-five dollars okay. um, at the time, and wow, they really? only made twenty-five hundred of them. So you know, it was like, hey, here's this one that was you that you played in the competition. Well, and it was that little catalog that came with some issues, right? Yeah, it was like exactly. A separate. Yeah, thing. right, right. Yeah, so yeah, it's like the, you know the hat, that. the stupid hats, yep. and, and all that yep. stuff. And so that you know that was really what they. And used. just to describe so, this for folks, like this is in what essentially looks like a blockbuster video rental box. It's green. Right? Yeah. It's green. Yeah. It has a wraparound with a Donkey Kong Country Blockbuster Video Game Championship Two, Donkey Kong swinging by on a vine, Diddy Kong is all the way in the top right corner, and I'm gonna open this as carefully as I can and yeah competition cartridge is yeah it's not for resale top, right. on the top um, yeah. so yeah I mean it's it's a full-fledged release that you, it's 
pretty rare to find it with the case. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you're looking to collect it, be, be wary. People have redone, like, the insert and the case. Um, yeah. Oh, you can know. you spot a fake like nobody's business? Uh, well, I, you know, you it, it's that? getting harder. I mean, I think especially because the case and the insert are so generic. Like, you can tell, yeah. like, an inkjet printed one versus, you know, this one actually, sure. like, printed, printed. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but you definitely need to be careful on that. You sure, know, sure. labels and stuff. Have you ever picked up a fraud by mistake? Um, most of the – I mean, I pretty much only bought from other collectors collectors that I, I trusted. Okay, um, so that's another piece of advice for people. Yeah, like, I think the big thing, I mean, this is, once again, I'm lucky because I was collecting this stuff a long time ago, mm -hmm. right? And so there was no fake, right? It was all whatever was, was legitimate. Mm -hmm. so, but yeah, nowadays, um, you know, be really careful. Um, if you're going to spend, you know, some sometimes people are like, oh, why would you fly out to see that person? It's like, you're going to give them thousands of dollars and the plane ticket's 300 bucks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, go out there and yeah. then, like, do the thing. Definitely. In this yeah. is really fascinating because it actually says in the back, you know, Nintendo minted only 2,500 of this special edition. Yeah. Really cool thing at the bottom, too. It says, the score to beat from the pros at Nintendo, dot, 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 dot. <laughs> A lot of dots. 3,641. So they actually put the Nintendo high score on here to beat, which is really fascinating. Oh, yeah. 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 And that's how it was. I mean, they also did that with the Star Fox competition card. Yeah, so, yes, uh, I've heard of thing. that one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so then these next three things on the table, I the minute you told me about that, I was like, no, really? <laughs> I've never even I'd seen never these before. I've never heard of yeah. this at all. So how did you discover these exactly? And so these are three 3DSs, a DS, a DSi, and a DSi XL. But they are all prizes. Lite, oh yeah, DS yeah. Lite. Thank yeah. you. Not not the DS Fat. Mm -hmm. um, but they are all specially customized as part of a prize for the Pokemon World Championship. Yeah. Um, so these, the 2008 is the first year they did it. Um, and as part of so Pokemon World Championships is really an event that's a global competition, um, and they compete in both the trading card game and the video game. That's right. There's a lot more trading card game players, obviously, than than video game, and as part of the prize package, the top finishers um, got you know all the prizes, the scholarships, and everything else, and a custom DS Lite in 2008. Uh, so how we found out about this is someone took a picture of it. Uh, they displayed it as like next to the trophy and everything, and it's like, what is that? And then like, okay, that's a custom one. And then you read the prize list. It's like custom DS Lite. And, you know, the light went off in my head, like, all right, well, I know what NWCs are worth. I'm an Nintendo Championship Cards. Yeah. I'm going to try to pursue these. So I, I bought one from one of the winners. Um, so for how, each, how many winners for? Yeah. Uh, so top 32 of three age groups in the card game and top eight finishers in two groups for the video game. So 112 total. Oh, right. So yeah. even if you played in the card game competition, you got yeah, one Yeah, so that, that – and okay. in fact, um, every one of these I've gotten is from a card – there's no difference, but um, I got them all from card winners, uh, not from the video game winners. Yeah, I was you like, figured, hell no. Yeah, you can't I mean, have my idea. Well, you, I mean, even <laughs> most of the – the, I mean, the competitors, this is the Pokemon worlds, and this is, like, your memento from that. Yeah. Now, right? So, right. you know, it, it's – well, not anymore. I, yeah, not anymore. Well, I can't <laughs> imagine. I mean, Steven's momentum. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> right. I mean, this is like like looking in a phone book, but this is more. The internet makes it easier. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so the DS Lite came out, and I thought it was a really cool design. It, it's actually uh, the first ones. Uh, well, they're all done by Colorware, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, it's really vibrant, and the the logo is cool. You know, I I have so many custom or. Uh, special edition like Game Boy, Game Boy Colors, and everything that have Pokemon and Mega Man and everything on them. So I knew I wanted to get this one. Yeah. So I, I ended up buying it. Um, and then I was like, okay, they're definitely going to do it the next mm -hmm. year, right? So 
as in the lead up, I'm looking at the website. They said, yes, custom DSI. And so I set up like eBay saved searches, um, everything I could, you know, kind of looking for winner's lists as soon as they would publish. And then this one came up, uh, I think, a week after it ended. Uh, the competition ended. And I mean, it was it wasn't listed very well in terms of uh, because most people don't know they exist. That's right? right. And so, I, you know, the bidding wasn't too bad. And then, of course, with the, the XL, same thing. Yeah. Um, the thing that really frustrated me was in the next year. 2010 or 11 the 3ds came out so i'm like of course they're going to make a 3ds one yeah but they didn't they They just said we'll give you a 3ds and so that was kind of the end of the train just a regular 3ds yeah so they just gave out a regular 3ds i'm like how come on you did this like three (laughs) years in a row like by by then you had your pokemon kid costume to sneak into the tournament right 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 right. actually no i I would be off the disguise at the end and be like i'm a collector i'd be in the i'd be in the pikachu outfit and like i doing the doing the the uh, like he'd pose for a photo right the yeah exactly yeah, right. the bag, <laughs> yeah, reaching into the bag taking the out the tail is animatronic <laughs> and going into the bag to rip out the so just uh, describe uh, yeah. some of these for though because the sure. 2000 so wait 2008 2009 right. 2010 uh, 2008 has a very 2009 excuse me has a well actually that's oh, yeah, yeah, well okay so yeah, eight is, uh, is orange um, and it's got Pikachu and world championships in the corner um, when you open it up it's it's also colors on oh, the inside wow. so, so there's yeah. a white d-pad white button um, most of the white frames on the screen. Yeah, white right. frames on the screen. Very, very rad. Anything and I don't know. If, have I have have we seen this orange in other in other DSs? Like no. this is one of the we. This orange looks like it's it. So if you can't see it at home, it's basically like a traffic cone orange. It's yeah. very bright, very yeah. loud. And it's got a Pikachu in the corner and Pokemon uh, trading card game yeah. World Championships 2008. Did they write uh, Pokemon video game? No, World no, it says trading card. It says trading yeah. card regardless of who won. Okay. Right. And then so uh, that was the first year they did it. The next year it was in San Diego. So it's mm-hmm. a blue and white system. It's a much bigger graphic. It's got uh, Pikachu on a, a, a windsurfing thing. Um, and uh this uh, you know, when you open it up, it, it there's two different colors in there. Oh wow! Um, you know what's interesting though, because uh, with the 3ds, I think with the XL in Japan, mm-hmm. they're sort of playing around with these yeah, color schemes colors, and right. mixing mm-hmm. colors and doing like white and or yeah. there was a black and orange and a blue and white or blue and black something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the inside it's a white bottom uh, for the bottom screen. The whole set is white. The top screen is all blue. Right. And uh, yeah, the graphic is really rad. Look at that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's really yeah, it's, awesome. You know, Pikachu and a bunch of other like you yeah, know, and again kind of, the label Pokemon just on the craziest yeah. vacation of their lives. Right, right. Well, yeah. like yeah, San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the the next year they did it um, was in Hawaii, and mm-hmm. uh, this graphics is much harder to see because it's basically silver paint on yellow. Is it also um, colorware? You mentioned uh, colorware yeah. Maybe so this is show. a colorware as well. Um, okay. Actually, you know what? I don't I don't think this one's colorware. Um, oh wow. Yeah. So the, they they kind of cheaped out. Maybe that's why they didn't do it again. So okay. You know things like the World Championship. Logo is not in color yeah. as it was before. Mm-hmm. It's still cool, you know. Pikachu's yes. got like a lay and a little hula skirt. Yeah, yeah. hula skirt, and you have uh, let's see, you have starters from uh, that gen or from a previous gen there. Totodial. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, so very the, nice. Yeah, this was and on the inside, yellow. It's wow. all yeah. yellow, super all yellow. yellow. Yeah, um, very Pikachu. Yep, Wu Tang colors. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> actually, colors. I was gonna say that it is the Wu Tang colors. Yeah. Have you ever checked the serial numbers to see if there's anything special? I noticed the serial numbers are still on these two. Yeah. Or they just. Uh, I think they're just off the shelf colorware. Okay, they just sent color. 
color wear a bunch of them and like customize yeah. these um, and, wow. and do the color. It's interesting because uh, the next Pokemon World Championships coming up. It's this month. Yeah, and uh, it just makes me sad they're not doing this anymore. Well, maybe yeah. they bring it back. Well, they did uh, it in Vancouver. You'll so be watching. The, yeah, I went. So I went to um, Vancouver last year, uh, and I was hoping like, oh, please, they come back with a new system. They didn't do it. I, uh-huh. And uh, it, it, you, we were talking earlier. The number of carts, right? Mm-hmm. Like 90 grays given out and 26 golds, so it's 120, you know, 116. And then with these, there's 112. It seems like be this magic number for them where it's like, okay, you know, this is about how many are going to be given out for these. Um, and, you know, always on the lookout whenever they do a competition, seeing if they do anything um, special. Uh, one of the things I started picking up. Uh, for a while was the custom Xbox 360s and yeah. PS3s mm-hmm. uh, that they would give out at like Comic-Con and things like that. Right. So I have some with like Watchmen and nice. um, uh, Domino's Pizza did uh, the Batman, the, the Joker and the Batman. Um, so there's a lot of things. Did you like, stop that? Because I think there were eight custom Xbox Ones at Comic-Con two weeks ago. And that uh, was... So I didn't, I don't, I don't have any custom, I have the, the white that I made this uh, Xbox One, but I don't have. How'd you get that? There were a bunch that showed up as soon as they gave them out to. I don't even know why I'm questioning that team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think like, as soon as you see one for the, now, actually, yeah, the, the, at Comic Con they did like yeah they had the Nerdist one and like they were giving out yeah. a bunch. So I don't I I haven't seen any of those go up yet, um, and I don't think I'm actually going to get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like I, I'm more focused on more of the classic stuff. But yeah, for a long time it was like competition stuff. I think the weirdest 360 I have is uh, one of them given out to Tyreek Evans of the Sacramento Kings. It's by 2K and it's a briefcase and it opens up and there's a screen and everything inside wow. there. And it's it's all customized to him. It's all Kings colors, like all the blue and black. Nice. And he, he autographed the top. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Through all this uh, collection talk, I guess I never bothered to ask if yeah. you ever were someone who tried to pursue getting things signed. Uh, I have a, a couple signatures. Or does um, that just devalue a lot uh, of things? <laughs> No, uh, I mean, if, for me, it, it's very cool to meet like, yeah. the creators of the Just because your collection is very personal. Yeah, so yeah. So, I, yeah. I mean, I do have some um, – I think the most prized signed thing I have is I have an original Super Mario Brothers uh, box that's autographed by Koji Kondo and uh, Miyamoto. Holy oh, man. So, yeah, and one's in silver ink, one's in uh, gold ink. And nice. so they both – oops, excuse me. Uh, they both really pop out. And yeah. that, that, for me, is a, a huge – uh, treasure because you know yeah, Miyamoto, oh, Cedar, and, you know, Miyamoto even drew this little Mario on it, mm-hmm. and it was, it's really really exciting time for me. Very wow. right. So. All right, so we're going to take one more quick break, and when we come back, we have one more thing to talk about. Actually, thank you so much, by the way, for bringing in sure. uh, the collection and sharing all this stuff. Uh, actually, really quickly, maybe three yeah. quick tips for anyone who's sort of looking into collecting. I mean, you've shared a bunch of knowledge so mm-hmm. far. Just putting that out there. Yeah, uh, I think looking into collecting, obviously, letting people know uh, that. Your collector, uh, knowing more than everybody else. Uh, so knowing prices off the top of your head, not having to check your phone, um, because as much as, for instance, even I know about games, sometimes I'll price things wrong, right? And it's sometimes you'll have to go through hundreds of games to find that mispriced game. Um, but just you know, keeping that knowledge uh, in your head, and then I think just figuring out what you want to collect, right? Don't I, I think that if you're more focused. Um, you can learn a lot more about that, and, and you really can make it part of like a personal passion rather than just a checklist. Got it. All right. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we have some more uh, impressions of Bayonetta for you.
All right, and we're back. Thank you very much for being patient. Uh, last thing I want to talk to you both about was uh, Bayonetta, Bayonetta 2. So you came back with, uh, Brian, you came back with impressions from Comic-Con. It yeah. turns out I got to play it this week. And let me tell you. You did a little better than me? Not just that. Oh, yeah, I got, <laughs> got uh, better than Stone. Yeah, yeah, he hey, got Stone. Hey, you heard Yes. Oh, that's Come good on stuff. now. High-fiving's <laughs> rubbing my face. Uh, I, no, the I didn't. first time, you know, I'll be better someday. Just you know, you don't you, I love don't the first game. I've, uh, I've said before, the first Bayonetta, I feel, was the best uh, character action game of last generation. Yeah. Blew the doors off of anything else I thought was really out there. Um, this one, it is it is amazing. I So I got to play through. They let us jump around from Chapter 1 through Chapter 4. This time they didn't skip cutscenes. They let us actually watch everything. But then they tell you, gave us a list of things we we're not allowed to tell people that we saw. Um, but I will say that as far as combat, fluidity, just outrageous action, like this game nails it on every front. Like I have not, I have not walked out of a demo that excited in a while. Um, and I don't know if it's just because I'm not attending enough demos, but um, <laughs> it it really um, it really blew me away in terms of like the scale of the boss fights. In terms of there was this one moment where you're kind of walking through this sleepy town. There's all these muted colors. It's dark. I was showing this clip to Stephen. You walk up to the door and it says open. And you press the prompt like you do in every game to open it. Yeah. And she kicks down a church to make a bridge. <laughs> she kicks it once at a church. <laughs> it's open now. And she goes across. Uh, but, yeah, no, combat-wise, I, I, I just can't. I, I've, I've run out of – I can't run out of good things to say about it. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for it. And for the same reason that you can go in there and you can be great at it, I'm not great at it, and that's why I want it, because I want to improve in it. And I love action games like that that aren't – it didn't feel like it was that punishing that was it was just like, no way, I'm out. There's no way I can handle this. It felt like it was just – like the hook was just there enough for me to keep playing it and get better mm-hmm. and better in it, which I think is like – it's perfect for a game like that. And yeah. I, I actually like – I got over – not got over, but I guess I got used to the fact that it is completely insane. It's weird how quickly your brain can just be like, oh, this is normal now. <laughs> From going like, oh, wait, she's fighting people with her hair and she's a witch and she's got guns on her feet and she fights these monsters that she chops and She's also taking on these like absolutely crazy poses, these sensational poses. Yeah. Almost, I, I mean, it, it, it Winking is... Winking a nod to the camera and then yeah, something crazy. Yeah, yeah all the time. she's fighting the most grotesque things you've ever seen. Well, and it's all about performance and it's like the camera, she is the center of attention at all times and the camera is capturing every moment of what she's doing yeah. and she's completely aware of that. And it's interesting to see a game just sort of toy with that because you're constantly being graded, as we brought up last podcast sure. with, you know, what happened with you. Um, yeah, we bring that up a lot. We do. <laughs> yeah, no, we do. Well, no, when it comes out, I'm really I'm really excited to uh, to play more of it. We have a preview going up on the site. Uh, Steven, you'd played the first game. I mean, are you a big fan as well? Or? Yeah, well, I've been trying to stay away from news about the game because I think that's what I really liked about the first one was I didn't know what was coming up. And it's like, oh, wow, it's like Afterburner and like all of a sudden all these like little nods. Um, yes. Yeah, the yeah. font, like the super hang-on font for the motorcycle scene and things like that. So I, I'm hoping that I'm surprised. You know, I, I saw the the um, Bowser fist come in, in in the remake of the first Bayonetta. I'm like, okay, I need more of that. Like, I want more of that, and I don't. I want to be surprised when I'm playing it. But you know what you showed me, and then uh, just the, some of the footage that I've caught. I think it looks amazing, and it, it kind of reminds me of when you first picked up Soul Calibur on the Gen- or the uh, Dreamcast. Yeah, like you could do all the specials and like the swords and everything flying around and and you feel like you're doing a ton of damage but then you realize there's a much deeper game behind that 
And, uh, you know, we were watching someone dodge through the legs of a monster and all that other. It's like, okay, <laughs> if you want to get that, that was not pure platinum, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to get that pure platinum, you really have to know the game way more than kind of button mashing your way through. And yeah. I think that's, that's really interesting to me. And, and it's definitely yeah, so, you one ha- of the You have to not get hit once. Yeah, I don't. Pure... I mean, it's that Japanese bullet hell thought, yeah. right? It's yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah, you got to play it. And, and get Which through. is sort of like, I look at that and I'm like, all right, I'll never get that good right but I, I think will, you could you, know, I, I, you I, might be able to get yeah. to a precious metal you yeah. Know? yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> other than just a dirty yeah, rock yeah, right. <laughs> pretty yeah. much no I, th- I think you can and I think also they're very aware of that and normal at least from what we played through those first chapters it feels like it was easy enough to jump into but still sort of just at the cusp of being too hard to master. Yeah. But I do know, and this was true of the first Bayonetta, the further you get in, the harder it's going to get. So, you know, the later half of that game, I would not be surprised if, on, even on normal, it's going to be a challenge. Um, but there are other difficulties to play on, and I guess that's the question, too. Like, if you're someone who's interested, but maybe you're scared you don't have the skills, like, do you take the ego bump and just go, ah, I'll play on the next level? I'm okay with the ego bump. I mean, I yeah. put a couple games on easy just because... You just oh, yeah. I, to I don't have the time. It. I, yeah, do, I, I do the same thing. And I like I don't really okay. mind doing yeah. that sometimes. I mean, it's See, I'm st- I still got the pride, man. Really? I yeah, I don't know. I haven't sh- I, every time it has come actually I've only done it Nightmare. once. Catherine. Uh, Catherine was the only time that I went down uh, to easy because everyone who I spoken to said don't play on normal, you're going to get frustrated and you're not going to want to play it anymore. Yeah. And I went through on easy and was able to experience it. But outside of that, I have not done it ever. I don't think. See, well, you you still review games. I don't review games. So for me, it's okay if I just want to finish something to be able to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't feel like I need to put myself through the vigor of dying a billion times and Coming, coming, angry, throwing my controller and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, a, you know, I don't, I don't need that in my life right now. No, okay. I play right. games to have fun. Yeah, yeah. To, not to throw a controller. No, Unless I'm playing Trials Fusion, which yes, I, I like throwing controllers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. All right, well, there you have it. Thank you very much for listening to Nintendo Voice Chat. We are a weekly podcast on IGN, uh, but we're not the only thing on IGN. We also have great articles, features, news, previews, a lot of video content. You should definitely come check it out. Uh, you can come here to find my Bayonetta preview impressions, uh, and we also have a video preview going up with that as well uh on top of that if you really su- like and support the show or even if you just have feedback either email us at nvc at ign.com or head on over to itunes and leave us a review let us know how we're doing what you think of the show steven thank you very much for coming in if folks want to follow you on twitter how can they find you um, at at steven p lynn on twitter okay yeah. you can also follow brian at agent fizzle And you can follow myself, Jose underscore Otero, on Twitter. Thank you very much again for listening, and we will see you next week. there this is justin bartha i made a funny new podcast king of the egg cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like lewis black i'm torn by my feelings for two women bobby cannavale you can eat it 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.